Last couple of years have been hard, haven't they? Seriously so. I don't know about you, but in my 70 years, I have not experienced anything quite like this. A pandemic that decimated the land, the world, it's not over. A racial reckoning. You know, when I left Washington, D.C., almost two and a half years ago, I assumed I was removing myself from the line of fire and moved to Richmond, the summer of the racial reckoning, right here on Monument Avenue. We've seen stuff, haven't we? And then political polarization, the likes of which I cannot remember. And again, I lived in Washington, D.C. for 17 years. But I haven't seen this. And then what's happening with the violence around the world? Just on the way in this morning, I heard more of it. And I, it just, it's heart-wrenching. It's hard to believe that this is actually happening. Whatever you call it, war crimes, genocide, I mean, we see it in the news and it breaks our hearts and minds and we wonder, how can this be? In light of this, I mean, I think it's very interesting to me that John's gospel is the only one that records that the resurrected Jesus still had the wounds, still had them on the hands and the side. And pointed, points it out to the disciples. Look at my hands. And to Thomas, look at my hands. Now, this is Thomas Sunday, by the way. Almost everybody preaches on, quote-unquote, doubting Thomas. And Thomas gets a very bad reputation because he doubts. I, I want to resurrect that reputation this morning. Because Thomas sees something that is really profound and deep, that is really important for us to see in our time and place, in the midst of what we're going through right now. Thomas doesn't say, note this, doesn't say, unless I see the halo on his head, I won't believe. What does he say? Unless I see the nail marks and the spear mark, I won't believe. That's significant. That says something to us about our discipleship too. One of my favorite theologians is Shelley Rambo. She's a Presbyterian theologian. She teaches at Boston University and she's done an enormous amount of research on trauma and brought it into theology in two different books. And in her first book, she notes how the Christian tradition often goes from Good Friday to Easter without remainder. So we're supposed to go from the wounds on the cross to Easter and when everything is okay and wonderful and all of this and everything is resurrected and, 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 um, and hallelujah and all of that. But she says that for trauma victims, that is not possible. They can't get to Easter. Sometimes they get stuck in Holy Saturday. I don't know about you, but I feel that way sometimes. 
I've been a pastor for many, many years and have preached many, many Easter sermons. And I must tell you that sometimes I wonder if I've left Holy Saturday behind. And I don't think I have. The wounds remain on the risen Christ. They remain. And so in a second book, Shelley Rambo features this text that we just read this morning of Doubting Thomas. She features the text and she says that the wounds on the risen Christ are a model for us to follow. Attending to the wounds of Jesus means attending to our wounds. And she wants to say that those wounds that were inflicted upon Jesus are also in one way, shape, or form inflicted on us. And so with those wounds on the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Christ carries the wounds forward in history. They reflect the wounds of the time. They reflect the crosses that litter the landscape of his time and perhaps reflect the crosses that litter the landscape, the brokenness in our own lives. Perhaps they do. I hope you don't mind if I tell you a personal story about wounds. Because it is a story that goes near and dear to my heart. It goes deep into my family. My father died early in life. When he died, I was 29 years old, and he was 67. And I thought to myself, well, he lived a full and wonderful life at 67. Now that I'm 70, I realize I was wrong about that that in fact he died early and it was a very it was a very hard thing for my mom about 6 years after he died this was probably oh i guess maybe 1982 i went home to see my mom st joseph missouri heart of the midwest my home and as i walked into the kitchen mom had an article from the philadelphia inquirer on the countertop. It was an article about a, a woman, a black woman, from St. Joseph, Missouri. Her name was Enid Green. And she had made it big in Philadelphia. She had a wonderful voice. She sang opera some. She sang, obviously, in church choirs. But she made it big in Philadelphia, and she had become one of the hosts of Good Morning Philadelphia. And so the inquirer did an article on him. And in the article, she thanked my dad. Because you see, my dad taught voice. He was a voice instructor, a choral musician. Both my mom and dad were musicians. Dad did school music and choir and taught voice. My mother taught piano. And so I had the sound of music throughout my house and throughout my life. It's continued. But Enid Green acknowledged my dad. And that was a significant thing. And my mom was really proud of that. But then she said to me something that I guess I knew. But I never acknowledged. She said to me, you know, your dad took black students I didn't. Now, growing up in the Midwest, you've got to understand this. We thought racism was somebody else's problem. 
So what happened that day was the first honest conversation we'd have, ever had about that reality in my hometown. And I must tell you, it changed my life. It changed my life to the point that racial reconciliation became part of my ministry. In Washington, D.C., we had a 10-year conversation with three black churches, two white churches, brought in theologians to talk to us on the issue of race, and it, it continues to this day. It's kind of what my ministry is at Second Presbyterian Church. You know, I am their theologian in residence, <laughs> which is the best job I've ever had because nobody knows exactly what it means. <laughs> But that's what I made it, and I made it largely because of that conversation that I had with my mom. It was a wound on our lives, if something happening in our own house that I knew and I didn't know, but was awakened to. And it was akin to a resurrection from the dead. It was akin to that. You see, the promise of Jesus resurrected with wounds and all, is that if we face into the wounds, that's where God is bringing life and resurrection. Now, I don't know where those wounds are for you. They will be different than for me. But if we face into them, there's promise. The promise that God brings life. Jesus breathed on the disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of the crucified and resurrected Christ, wounds and all, inviting us to attend to our own wounds, inviting us to go into those places on the promise, on the promise that resurrection is sure. Paul said it, perfectly for us. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead will bring life to your mortal bodies. That's the promise. But we'll bring it by facing into the wounds, whatever those wounds are. Facing into our fears and resurrecting compassion. Facing into our angers and resurrecting agitation for change. Facing into our grief and resurrecting community around us. That's what it is to be an Easter people, you know. That's at least what I think. You know, the reason I read that second passage, that middle passage between the two lessons, was because I wanted to get the garden into this. Did you notice that Mary mistakes Jesus, the risen Christ, as a gardener? That's significant. John doesn't tell us that, just... Just, just offhand. That's just not an offhand reference. Because you see, you see, Jesus was resurrected in a garden. Isn't that beautiful? Now some people say that that means that Jesus is recovering the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Is recovering the Garden of Eden. Recovering paradise for us. And that's the promise of the new creation for each and for all out of the wounds that exist not only through the creation but in our own lives is the new creation promise of life. And did you know that the last image 
of the entire Bible in the book of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, and God to be with God's people, and restoring a time where there will be no more tears, no more dying. There's a reference, a profound reference to the Garden of Eden. The river that comes from the crucified and risen Christ, the Lamb, the river that comes, the tree of life is on either side of that river, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's the promise. That's the promise for you and me as an Easter people, if we only face into our wounds. Rachel Hell Evans, the wonderful writer who passed away too soon, said it very well. God is about the business of bringing dead things back to life. So if you want to be about God's business, you've got to go to the scorched earth, dead on arrival, places of the world, because that's where God gardens. Bringing life, wholeness, resurrection. May it be so. Amen.